What up, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And today, we're just going to hop right into it. We have a lot to talk about. We have the Celtics, we have the Kings, Utah Jazz, the depth of the Western Conference, some Rookie of the Year debate, and a a philosophy question about basketball, when to give up on a player. So let's just start off with the Celtics. They dominated the Kings the other night. What were your thoughts on that victory over a team we both respect? A lot of runs in that game from both teams. A lot of high-powered offense. Celtics went in as the first-rated offense. The Kings were the second. And the Celtics held the Kings to 104 points. That's their season low so far this year. Uh, They went on a crazy run, something like 38-9 to at some point. Uh, The Kings just couldn't string together offense. And the Celtics do what they do best, just keep splashing threes. Right now, they are number one in the NBA in three-pointers made, and they're number two in three-point percentage. They're on pace. It's a 15-4 season so far. That's pace. That pace is 64 wins over the whole season. And Rob Williams is still in the chamber. We still haven't seen him play, and this is still a brand-new head coach. Uh, literally, you could not be more happy. You couldn't be more content with how the Celtics have been through 19 games. But specifically against the Kings, I loved seeing that defense step up. Yeah, and I I just have a question for you because I didn't get to catch this one. But just looking at the box scores, right? We have the best shooting team in the entire league, the Kings, shooting nine for 36 from three-point land. Is that a function of the Celtics' defense or was that, you know, bad shooting? Or did you see a little bit of both? Because looking at the stats, we see Kevin Herter go two for 10. Keegan Murray go one for eight. Malik Monk go four for 12. These are the guys that have kind of been putting the team on their back from the three-point line. Like, was it just the switching defense of the Celtics that really made it difficult for them to get good looks? Or was it just one of those nights that, you know, they weren't hitting the shots? So it was a little bit of both. Uh, Part of what makes the Kings such a high-powered offense is the actions that they run with Sabonis on the perimeter. For most teams in the NBA, if you have a dribble handoff between Sabonis and Kevin Herter, you cannot switch that. Because if you switch it, Sabonis is far too strong and he'll take your guy on the block and he'll score on him. Uh, Or Kevin Herter's way too fast and he'll pull up for three. The Celtics are one of the only teams that are truly switchable for all five players at all times on the floor. Um, And that made it really difficult for them to get some of the shots that they wanted. When De'Aaron Fox got to a three-point shot he liked, he hit it. Um, He was three for nine from the three-point line. The six misses were, you know, contested threes that were slightly difficult. But the ones he wanted to hit, he hit pretty cleanly. Um, Kevin Herter going 0-6 from three, that was a blessing. That's not going to happen very often. Uh, Part of that was the Celtics switchability, making it difficult for him to get to the spots he wants to get to. And part of it was just misses. Um, I think you can accredit it a little bit to both. Keegan Murray shouldn't be taking six threes in that game. Uh, but the Celtics were just trying to get the ball out of uh, Kevin Herter and De'Aaron Fox's hands. And so Keegan Murray ended up with a lot of opportunities to shoot. Yeah, I wish I could have tuned into this one because when I saw it on the slate, I was super excited for it. Um, but this is a incredible win for the Celtics um, because I think, you know, the Kings were starting to be the feel-good story of the season. You know, they had won eight in a row. They had beaten some pretty good teams along the way. And then the Celtics kind of showed them we're not just a good team. We we are starting to become an all-time great team. And that's honestly how I view this Celtics team. This is the Spurs. This is the Warriors, where it is they have a function that they know how to perform at the highest level, night in, night out, 
they have an 85% chance of winning the game. It's just, they run so smoothly. They know exactly what positions they're supposed to be in. They know exactly, exactly what type of shots they're supposed to take. Um, this team's a wagon. And I think this kind of shows you the difference between like a fun loving team and the Kings and like a legit championship contender. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the Kings did not play to their best. Um, when you let up runs, like they were letting up the first quarter, they started, I think one of eight, um, the Celtics were up 14 at the end of the first, and then they ended up up two at halftime. And then the Kings took a lead in the third quarter. There was a lot of runs going on. Um, and obviously the Kings didn't close that game out the way you'd want them to, but this is the Celtics playing at their best. Uh, we saw it against Dallas. We've seen it against a lot of teams that, uh, the, the opposing team starts going on a run and the Celtics are able this year to calm it down. Uh, they don't need a Joe Missoula timeout. He hasn't been calling them, um, but they just need a couple defensive stops and a couple threes, and that lead just grows. Uh, some of the things that I think are the most crazy, you look at the three-point percentage through our team right now, Derek White, who's never been an excellent three-point shooter, is shooting 44% on four attempts. Grant Williams, 45%. Al Horford, 48%. Malcolm Brogdon, 43%. Sam Hauser, 48 um, it's ridiculous, man. It's because these guys are getting wide open looks. The Spurs comparison is perfect. That is what this team is right now. They are as close to that version of the Spurs as I've seen from a team, man, in a while. The passing is perfect. The shots they get are perfect. We are watching a historically great team right now. And, you know, I think the Spur, the way they play basketball is very similar to the Spurs. I think the way this team has evolved is very similar to the Warriors. Hmm. I think we'll be able to look back and say, you know, Brad Stevens mixed with Ime Udoka was kind of the Mark Jackson for Golden State. And Joe Mazzulla might be the Steve Kerr for the Celtics, where he just takes a, a a clear foundation that was built by prior head coaches and lifts it up a level to the point where, hey, this team's going to be a problem as long as I'm here. Um, I think me and you both voiced pretty real concerns about the head coaching change before the season. Yeah. And you know, I have no worries about this guy at all. I mean, he has completely revolutionized the Celtics offense. We've spoken about how their defense isn't exactly elite like it was last year. Mm -hmm. It does not matter. The rate they're shooting threes and the percentages they're shooting them at, it's just impossible to stop this team right now because they either get to the rim, get to the free throw line, or shoot the threes. Um, and they're still playing that same brand of defense with the switching where it's just super difficult for teams to kind of take advantage of any type of mismatch because there is none. Yeah, this this team's a unit. It is a unit, man. Joe Missoula has to be a front runner for coach of the year at this point. I think it's him and Will Hardy that are leading that charge. Uh, and you just think about it, man, with Rob Williams in the chamber, with him still yet to come back. He's been cleared so far for four on fours in practice. So, you know, we may be two weeks away from him coming back into this game. Um he is just a perfect piece to plug into an offense. There is no clunkiness. There is no worrying about like, how is our offense going to suffer when he comes back? If you go and you watch film when he's healthy, if you go and you look at the stats, the on-off numbers, the advanced stats, our offense flourishes with him on the floor. He gets incredible offensive rebounds. He's such a good passer. Uh, he does a lot of things right. And he doesn't ask for a big role. If you sub out Luke Cornett, and you throw in Rob Williams, there is no chance that the Celtics, any part of the Celtics game suffers. Yeah, I, I think this is a 60-win team. I think both of us were very positive about that, you know, before the season, and I think they're proving us right. This is just a well, well-oiled machine, and no one's stopping this runaway train. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Jason Tatum should be the front runner for MVP. 
I know Luka Doncic is putting up incredible stats right now and give him credit in the world. If you want to give him all that credit. Uh, but the Pel- I mean, the Mavericks are not winning a lot of games. They're nine and eight right now. Um, win record always factors into these things at 15 and four with Tatum putting up 30 points a game. He is the MVP front runner. Yeah. And actually I, we did not plan to talk about this in the pre-show, but I'm just going to hop into a different subject right now. Luka Doncic. I don't like the way he plays basketball. I think it's disgusting. Um, you know, I, I try to put myself in the shoes of a guy who's playing alongside another player. And for me personally, I would rather be on a 20-win team than play with Luka Doncic, personally. I think this is Harden all over again, except, you know, Doncic is freaky good in the playoffs. So, yes, he is a top three player in the league. I just hate the way he plays basketball. Only 7% of his buckets this year have been assisted on. 93% of the buckets he scores are created only by himself. You got to realize this guy has the ball in his hands the entire game. No one else gets to touch the ball. If you're a role player on this team, you're basically sitting on your hands the entire game. And then he expects you to clean up all of his defensive mishaps. That would drive me insane as a guy playing on that team. Is he incredibly talented? Yes. Is he super exciting to watch? Yes. Is he super versatile offensively? Of course, is he one of the greatest talents we've ever seen in the NBA? Correct. For me, personally, I don't like watching the Mavericks because I know it's just going to be Luka Hero Ball in the fourth quarter. And I also would not want to play with him as a basketball player. I think that would be incredibly frustrating. It's it's interesting, man. I've heard uh, Luka comparisons that I like uh, likening him back to LeBron's early years as a Cavs player, um, where... You come into this team and the team's bad and you are so much better than anybody expected you to be. And because of that, you can't continue to bottom out and get good players. Um, Luka Doncic's second best creator right now is Spencer Dinwiddie. And if you've listened to us talk about basketball of the couple of years, we're not high on Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, He's been pretty solid as a three-point shooter this year. But if he's your only other creator, your team's going to suffer. Um, they it's very, very hard for a team like that to go and build a whole bunch of really competent, high level players around him. So they just grab a bunch of OK role players. Um, I, I would agree with you. But last year we saw a very similar thing. And he had Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie. So there are creators on the team. Um, I do actually kind of get the LeBron point, right? Like if if you're just by far away, like an all time great, probably a top 30 player of all time by the time it's said and done. Like the track he's on is absurd. Yeah. Um, you know why? Why would you give up the ball to Tim Hardaway Jr. for 16 shots a game? It doesn't make any sense. Right. But, he's not good enough to get that many shot attempts. Right. But um, we saw with LeBron when he transitioned to the Heat, it was you know Dwayne Wade, you get your touches. Mario Chalmers, you get your touches. Chris Bosh, you get your touches. Like I want to see that from Luca eventually because with Harden. We've never seen that. We've never, he started his career that way. And then once he was handed the keys, he never went back. I don't want to see Luca just be a generational ball hog, even though he's one of the best passers to ever touch the game. The way he hit the balls in his hand from start to finish drives me a little bit crazy. It's a detriment to himself. Uh, James Harden was the assist leader uh, his year in Brooklyn and the year in Philadelphia. 
Um, but obviously I know what you're talking about when you're talking about James Harden being the guy pounding the ball into the floor, every possession. Um, it's to Luca's detriment. You see uh, he's talked himself up as a defender this year. And if you watch the first three quarters, he's not bad. He's putting in more effort. He's playing smarter defense than he's played at any point in his career. Um, but they get into the fourth quarter and because he's playing 37 minutes a game and because he's the one doing everything, he is so gassed. Yeah. LeBron James has, you know, top tier stamina, 99th percentile stamina. So if you make him play 48 minutes a game, he's still going to be fine in the 48th minute. Uh, we don't see that with Luka Doncic. So when you make him the solar system and he's the only one that can do anything through the first three quarters, you lose him in the fourth. He gets he gets blown by on every defensive possession, and then he's too gassed to hit those step-back threes that he likes taking. Um, his percentages don't look great right now, and I don't want to blame him. You know, you look at this team, and Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, Maxi Kleba, Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Green, Dwight Powell, those are the guys playing a lot of minutes on this team. Yep. They're not creating their own looks. If but Luka like Doncic, I said last year with Brunson, what, what's the excuse for last year with Brunson? Well, they staggered a lot of their minutes, and Brunson was just the man. That's what I'm saying. That's what um, I'm saying, though. He can't play next to another guy who wants the ball in his hands. It's, sim- it's similar to what Houston did with CP3 and Harden. Right, and it worked. I it's it's working, but what does it do as a player playing next? To, it's just not fun to play next to James Harden. It's not entertaining to watch James Harden. And I'm starting to feel a similar way. Luca drops some crazy passes where I'm like, holy shit, that was awesome. And then there are some possessions where it's go down, make a bucket, come back. He dribbles the ball, doesn't pass to anyone bucket. And yes, he's scoring 34 points per game. He's a fucking freak. I just don't think it's a fun brand of basketball. I'm pretty sure it's not a winning brand of basketball. Um, I think last year's Western Conference Finals was a fluke. I basically just want to see a player brought in next to Doncic to get the ball out of his hands. Like, why'd we shit all over Trey Young for being a ball hog? And then we were excited to watch him play off ball when DeJounte Murray came in. But that conversation never happens with Luka, even though Luka's far and away worse than Trey Young when it comes to usage. It's it's interesting that this conversation is not being had for Luka. Well, so DeJounte Murray's better than any teammate Luka's ever played with. Jalen Brunson's never making an all-star game. He's just a really good fourth best player on your team. Um, Jalen Brunson's not that great. Um, he's a really talented offensive player in some spurts, but you watch him on the Knicks and you're not like, man, I love this guy. He's an Jaylen all-star. Jalen Brunson has a better playoff career than DeJounte Murray will ever have. That's and silly. It's not. DeJounte Murray's never made the playoffs. He was on a shitty Spurs team forever. We have no idea what his playoff exactly. numbers are going to look like. He we was no there with idea. Tim Duncan and Kawhi. He was there. He was on the team. He didn't do shit. That's what I'm saying. You can't just dismiss it. You can't. I, of course you can. Yeah, DeJounte Murray hasn't played <laughs> meaningful playoff minutes yet. Okay. We can't talk about what DeJounte Murray's going to be. But as you a can't discount guy. Brunson that either. You can't say, oh, he's, oh, not, he, he's he the great. fourth best player on a team. You can't he just did. like, oh, whatever. He scored 42 points in a playoff game. That's true. That's true. Yeah, he did do that, and he was pretty incredible. Um, I Do you think he's an all-star? I don't think he's an all-star. I do you think, think he's DeJounte better Murray's than DeJounte all-star? Murray? I don't, but I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a gap. I really don't. I don't see it that way. Okay. Um, I think if we had, if you put DeJounte Murray on the Mavs, um, I think, I, I don't know, we could we could start having that conversation about exactly. like, what the hell can Luka do? Can he just be off ball for a little bit? But we don't exactly. have that. 
And the conversation just doesn't happen because he's the wonder kid and he's scoring 34 points per game with 10 rebounds and 10 assists. And it's something we've never seen before. So Mm -hmm. I understand why it's being ignored, but we can't do this forever where it's like, we bagged on James Harden for a decade and a half about the way he played basketball. We shit all over 5'11 Trey Young because of the way he plays basketball. But the way Luka do, does it is okay. Like, we'll just let him be a ball hog his entire career, and it'll be everyone else's fault. It won't be his. That's fair. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't bag on the solar system offense as much um, because that's kind of the way the NBA is going. Um, but it, it definitely, if you're talking about, like, would you want to be a role player on the Mavericks? Would you want to be Josh Green and you get shit on for every defensive mishap you make while you just stand in the corner and wait to take corner threes and not a lot of blame goes to Luca for your losses? No, you don't want to be a player on that team. I think it's probably wrong to say it doesn't lead to wins just because of the track record of it leading to wins. Um, but if yeah. you're talking about enjoyability, it's not there. I think what makes Doncic special is he's he's James Harden. It's the same player, just one dude's white and one dude's black. And then Luca has an insane playoff track record. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that separates him from James Harden. So when the Rockets flamed out in the playoffs, it was Harden's fault. So the role players didn't really get the blame. When the Mavs flame out, it's all oh, the Ma- the fucking role players around Luca didn't do him up do as much. And that's fair because you know Luca's cooking everyone. But it's like. I don't know. How do you how do you grow your own game? How do you become a winning player when you're not given the opportunity to create for yourself or for others through every single night of the season? It's an interesting philosophy question about basketball. Like, can you have players develop around you if they just don't touch the ball? Yeah, no. The answer is very clearly no. Um, the only dude who's even kind of given that opportunity is Spencer Dinwiddie, and he has made the most of it. He truly has. Um, but even then, man, yeah, there's not a lot of development that happens. The point is not for you to develop as a player. The point is for you to do this very one specific role so that, you know, Luca looks best. Yeah. And it's, and we know it's not the head coach's fault, right? We saw Jason Kidd do wonders in Milwaukee with Giannis and Chris Middleton. We know Jason Kidd is a developmental coach. He's grown as a coach and I view him as a, a very good head coach at this point. So we know it's not his point, uh, his fault. I just think it's the style of play. And I don't know, maybe that changes if they bring in another star who can handle and shoot the ball. I have no idea, but yeah, maybe it doesn't. This this could be a very deep dive that we could go into, but I've always been iffy about the whole it doesn't lead to winning thing because if Chris Paul doesn't get injured against the Warriors, they win that series and they most likely win the finals. I know you can't build, like it's a hypothetical, it didn't happen, but it was very clearly a system that was leading to wins and it led very far into the playoffs and could have led even farther if the team was healthy. Yeah, and we can also look at that game where they missed the 27 threes and said, you know, if they were told to do anything other than shoot threes all season long, if they were taught to pump fake and drive to the hoop or take mid-range jumpers, they win that game and move on anyway. That's true. So it's a chicken or the egg situation. I think with Luca, we're going to find out soon because, you know, I don't think ownership's going to look at a generational player who's a top three player and just let him sit with average role guys for long. I think if a star becomes available, I think they should mortgage their future to try to capitalize on it. So yeah. hopefully they make a change soon. And then it'll be up to Luca to show us, hey, I can play without the ball. 
Obviously, it's better in my hands, but I can give up the rock to my teammates for the betterment of the team. Do you think he would struggle with that? Because I don't. I think if you put an all-star on this team with him, he wouldn't struggle to give up shots. I don't know. It's it's uh it's one of those things where I didn't think so when he was younger or but now he's becoming such a global superstar and the amount of attention he gets for the incredible things he does and he's so used to having the ball in his hands forever it's just it's strange I don't know I don't know what it would look like I can't I'm not sure that's true that's fair that's fair I think if you were uh, any year you're looking at a uh, a dude who's got a 39% usage rate, um, you're thinking, get the ball out of this man's hands. Like, I've seen it in his hands enough. Um, right. That's, you know, Russell Westbrook's MVP year. That's James Harden's years with the Rockets. Um, at a certain point, it's just not that fun to watch. And I understand that. Um, I want to I wanna pivot to a totally different situation, totally different team, a uh, team that's really been surprising people. The Indiana Pacers, 11-7 and seven right now. Eight and two in their last 10 games. Some really entertaining wins. Um, I just wanted to start this by talking about Tyrese Halliburton. I put this thought out on our TikTok at Double Double Pod. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton is in the top tier of playmakers, in my opinion. I think there's six guys, and those six guys are LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, Trey Young, James Harden. Those are the guys that we're all very much in consensus about. These are the best playmakers in basketball. I think what Tyrese Halliburton's doing in his third year, I think the sample size and the track record is enough to put him in that tier. And I'm not going to disagree with you. Uh, last night, he had 15 assists and zero turnovers. Chris Paul's the only other guy in the league doing that. Mm-hmm. Not Luka, not LeBron, no one. Um, the way he takes care of the ball and the way they shoot threes as a team is why they're winning games. Uh, they are the fourth seed in the East, people. That no one on God's green earth would have predicted that. Uh, Yes, we're only 18 games into the season, but I mean, they're better than a lot of teams we thought were going to be better than them. So I I just have huge respect for him as a playmaker and potentially as a number one option. I think, you know, it's weird where he lands on. Is he a guy that can kind of be the best guy on a team? Probably not. Uh. But as a number two, like if you put him next to a really good player like a Giannis or a Luka, like that team would be unstoppable. Um, I just I just think he's a really good player. I said it last year at the, when the trade went down. I really think he's going to be the most improved player of the year. I think with, you know, the Jazz, maybe their record coming down a little bit. I think if Indiana stays in the playoff race, I think it's his award. Yeah, if they stay in the playoff race, I can't imagine. Like, I mean, you have to give him so much credit. Um, at the moment, he is a career 41 three-point per- three point shooter. 41% three-point shooter on 5.3 attempts a game. Yeah. Um, he assists like crazy. He shoots off the dribble like crazy. Um, if you want to say he could be the best player on a really, really good team, I think there's reasons to believe that. Um, we talked about... Uh, him being you know our generation this generation's Chris Paul and some people might think that's crazy but Chris Paul's stats in his third year are pretty identical to what Halliburton's doing right now yeah Um, Chris Paul had some flashiness he had a little bit of different play but you know the numbers are very similar it was the winning yeah that's what we need to see from Halliburton next before we can make that direct comparison because Chris Paul stepped into the league and was the second best point guard in the league Mm mm-hmm 
and his team just started winning games immediately. We haven't seen the winning part from Tyrese. We've seen the numbers. We've seen the percentages. They all look fantastic. And honestly, some of them look better than Chris Paul's at the same age. Yeah. But the wins aren't even close. So yes. that's the next step for Halliburton. But this is the year we're starting to see it. This is the year we're starting to see, you know, him directly impact W's on a nightly basis. Exactly. Yeah. Chris Paul is one of the best leaders basketball has ever seen. Um, I will forever hate the way that he flops and the way that he bitches to the refs and the way that that infects the whole team forever. I, I won't like that. But undeniably, he's one of the best leaders basketball has ever seen. Every team he goes to gets incredible. Um, that obviously is not a thing we're seeing with Tyrese Halliburton, but the on-the-court numbers are phenomenal. They are unbelievable what he is able to do with the basketball. He's number one in the NBA in assist percentage right now. He's number one in the NBA in assists per game. They're flashy as hell. Um, these are not just like Rajon Rondo directing traffic backdoor cut passes. He's doing no looks down the middle. He's whip pass into the corners. Um, there isn't a pass he is scared to make. Um, and if you're really wondering why the hell are the Pacers good right now, he is the reason he is the leader. He's the one doing all the work, but then you got miles Turner putting up 19 a game. You got buddy healed at 18. You got Ben Matherin running in leading the running for rookie of the year and six man of the year, putting up 19 points a game in under 30 minutes played. Um, there's a lot of fun, fun offense happening in this Indiana basketball team. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to lead into like a little bit of Rookie of the Year conversation. Ben Matherin's the favorite for that award right now. Obviously, Paolo came off to an unbelievable start and has been hurt for a little bit. This is Ben Matherin's award, man. A uh, picture resurfaced on Twitter just last night of Paolo in a boot at the Magic's game. If Paolo's in a boot and he's missing a few weeks and Matherin continues to play this way as the sixth man of the year favorite on a team that's above 500 and a team that's probably going to be in the play-in or at the later end of the playoffs, that that's that's his award. I agree. Um, I think anybody knows Paolo Bancaro is the best rookie of this class, uh, but there is a threshold to how many games you can miss and still lead in that category. Um, I think at the end of the year, you know, Paolo's going to have better stats, but we have seen this in the past with guys like Joel Embiid, guys like Zion. They just don't play enough games. Um, I don't know what the threshold is. I was trying to think of it before we came on. I said to you 50 games and you said that's no way there's no way he won't win that award. And I think you're right. Um, but I don't know how many games could Paolo miss and still clear the rookie of the year. Probably 20. If he plays 60. I think it would still be end up being a conversation because, you know, Matherin hasn't missed a game yet. Yeah. So he has the durability and the performance. Paolo just has unreal performance and maybe not so much of the durability. Mm -hmm. But if he only misses 20 or if he misses 15, it's still his award. Once we start getting into that 25, 30 games missed, there's no chance he wins it over over Matherin. I think that's fair, man. And, you know, entertainability, excitability, that factor. Ben Matherin is so fun to watch. He's got incredible balls when it comes to shot taking um, and shot making he's yeah. still shooting 42 percent from the three-point line it's unbelievable man I know like this isn't real I don't I'm gonna say this isn't real from the Pacers this whole 11 and 7 that win rate isn't gonna continue um, the teams with really really high assist rates the teams that feed the ball really well between each other they start hot 
um, because you immediately have really good chemistry. I think when we see the 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 rest of the NBA start to get a little more comfortable, the Pacers are going to fall and fall and fall. But I still think they're a playing team. I don't think they're bottoming out. I thought they were going to be the worst roster in the NBA, like Houston Rockets level terrible. That's not happening. Um, but I don't see this team being a playoff team. I'm not so sure. I'm not going to put that out there for me personally. I think Rick Carlisle's doing a excellent job. Um, I think, I think he's an overrated head coach just because mm-hmm. he's living off the legacy of one of the greatest playoff runs in history with Dirk Nowitzki. Um, but if you just go through the numbers of this team, it's very impressive what they're doing right now. Ben Matherin, like you said, is playing under 30 minutes a game, but he's scoring 19 points. The same thing for Miles Turner is happening. He's playing under 30 minutes and he's averaging 19 points on great efficiency and is averaging 2.8 blocks per game. Buddy Heald's having a good season. Chris Duarte, not so much. He hasn't played too much, but Isaiah Jackson, their first round pick from last year, he's having a defensive impact off the bench. Aaron Neesmith, a guy I view as just a bum, is kind of contributing to winning. And I yeah. think just even being able to say that is a positive. Yeah. Um, but Halliburton, Matherin, Turner, and Heald, those guys are all playing really, really well and not a ton of minutes. Like it's not like they're out there 35, 37 minutes a night. Um, I- I've just been pretty impressed with what Carlisle's been able to do and just the brand of basketball they're playing as well. They're just, they're basically doing what the Celtics are doing, sharing the ball and chucking up threes and it's working. Yeah. They're number three as a team and three pointers made on the season. Um, Number two in the NBA and assists per game. Um, They have a strategy that is working very well with Tyrese Halliburton running the point and either getting to the cup, uh, taking a three or finding an open cutter somewhere. I have a question for you. Sure. If you have such great belief in Tyrese Halliburton, why don't you have such great belief in them as a team? What what about them as a team makes you think that they can't stay in the playoffs? I just think there's not a lot of talent going on. Uh, Buddy Heald is an excellent shooter. He really doesn't do anything else. Miles Turner plays 50 games a year. Um, he's already missed five this season. Uh, he is not a guy who can stay very healthy. Jalen Smith is about a biggest question mark, a question mark as there is for big men in the NBA right now. Um, their seventh man in terms of minutes is Andrew Nembhard. Who? Um, Chris Duarte is missing four to six weeks. Isaiah yeah. Jackson's passable. TJ McConnell's passable. O'Shea Brissett, Gogo Badazzi, no. Um, I just think they lack talent. Yeah. The top four, Halliburton, Heald, Turner, and Matherin, if they all stay healthy, if they all play 70-ish games, the team will be entertaining as hell. I just don't know that there's enough depth there. I think I'm with you. If they stay healthy, this is a playoff team. I have no questions about that. The issue is, one, can they stay healthy? And if they don't stay healthy, will they just trade away everyone? Um, Because at this point in the season, yes, they're four games over 500. But that's that's like one, two bad weeks with one of your star players getting hurt. And then your season's completely changed and you just ship everyone out, right? Right. Like that Lakers trade was being floated out there before the season even started. I think it's fair to say the Pacers have overachieved on their expectations by a large margin. A couple players get hurt. You can just fall right back and say, hey, we had a good start, but Wemby and Scoot are in the lottery. Let's blow it all up and try again next year when everyone can maybe stay healthy. Yeah. I think that's the better play for the Pacers right now. And just to look at the fact that they started so well and, you know, maybe they pull a OKC of a couple years ago and they just sit their guys and they go, you know what, this isn't the direction we thought we were going in this year. Um, Because I think they would need, they need more. 
they need more depth. They need, you know, more top end talent would be nice, but I think they just need another top 10 pick. Um, another guy who can reasonably contribute to winning. And then this team's going to start rising a little bit. I just don't think they have it yet. Um, I do want to bring up though, because this is a conversation we were going to have at some point. Uh, you brought up Aaron Neesmith being a contributor, a positive contributor. Uh, he helped win their game against the magic the other day. He had some big offensive rebounds. He went five of eight from three. Um, and it, just brought and reminded me of the the conversation you had on TikTok about when is it too early to give up on a guy. Um, I am a not a believer that you can call somebody a bust before their third year. Um, I think you can be pretty obvious that somebody's not going to be the dude. You know whether they're not going to make all star games, they're not going to be the best player on a team, but you can still be a positive contributor. You can still be a role player that comes in and plays winning basketball without being some 18 point per game scorer. Um, And a lot of guys come in with sky high expectations and they still end up being role players. And I do think, I think that's still a success. I don't know if it's fair to call him a bust. Yeah. So I made a TikTok the other day saying, when is it the right time to give up on a player because of the arrival of Dennis Smith Jr. on the Charlotte Hornets, who, you know, was drafted eighth overall, flamed out of league, out of the league very quickly, and has kind of proved himself to be at least a valuable rotational piece in the NBA. Yes, he's on probably one of the worst teams in the league, but he's getting minutes. He's playing well. It's a good story. My thing is, is I only need probably a year, a year and a half to feel comfortable labeling someone a bust. Um, I I texted you a little bit today about Johnny Davis for the Washington Wizards. He hasn't played a game in the NBA yet. I can label him a bust and not have any worries about that at all. The Wizards drafted him. They put him in summer league. He was fucking horrible. They brought him to camp. He was fucking horrible. He hasn't played a game for the Wizards because he's bad at basketball, period. He's a bust. That's a, it wasn't worth the first round pick. They would have gotten more value trading the pick than actually selecting Johnny Davis. I have no question about that. Aaron Neesmith, I'm comfortable calling him a bust as well. He was a lottery selection. The second he started playing basketball for the Boston Celtics, I could tell he was not going to be a good player. Super frantic, had no idea what to do with his arms, feet, hands, legs, nothing. He had no idea what the fuck he was doing out there. And I said he kind of contributes winning that just means he's playing minutes on a team that's winning I don't view him as the reason they're winning games that's Tyrese Halliburton Ben Matherin Buddy Heald and Miles Turner um for him to even be in the league is actually kind of impressive to me I thought for sure he was going to be a G League lifer uh Romeo Langford same deal you did not need to watch him play much basketball to look at him and go that dude's not good um and he won't be good and that has come to fruition as well And I said on the TikTok, you can look at the flip side of the argument as well. Jason Tatum comes in as a rookie, leads his team to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's a dude. Luka Doncic comes in, 20 points per game as a rookie. That's a dude. You know pretty quickly with these guys, right? Like, it's if they're good, they show you. If they're bad, they show you. And first impressions are important, and most of the time they're right. So I think what it sounds like is what this comes down to is the the position that these guys are drafted at. Um, if you're a top 10 pick, you're expecting top 10 play. And if you end up a role player after being, you know, the eighth pick in the draft or whatever, if you end up the sixth man and you're still impactful, are you labeling that guy a bust? Absolutely not. We got to, we got to remember Dennis Smith Jr. Was on his couch for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's, that's a bust being drafted eighth overall and sitting on your couch for two and a half years and not having a single team even try to bring you on it. That's, that's a bust. 
Aaron Neesmith, a guy who was supposed to be at least a good shooter, not being a good shooter, the one thing they bring him in to do, and he's not good at it, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a bust. Romeo Lankford, bust. He's supposed to be a defensive piece, like maybe can hit corner threes, just didn't do it. So it's relative to the expectations you bring in, right? Like Johnny Davis was supposed to be like a nice off guard to put next to Bradley Beal. Turns out he just doesn't know how to play basketball at all. So that's just a bust, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think players show you really quickly what their future is. And I, I don't know. I just take their word for it. I, I mean, it's reasonable. Um, there's always guys that the first couple of years – they aren't in the best situation. I think you can make this argument very easily with Dennis Smith Jr. that the Mavs and the Knicks did not want him. Um, they did not care about him being on the team. They had no interest in making him a be- the, ve- the best version of himself. Um, and there's guys like that all around the league who come into a team that didn't really need them, but they had to draft somebody and they never end up being the player they want to be. And then three, four, five years down the line, they end up in a new situation and they start to flourish. Bull Bull is a guy that comes to mind there. When you watched him in Denver Nuggets, it's not like he was this guy and the Nuggets just didn't feel like playing him because they're evil. Bull Bull sucked. Um, He didn't have the right attitude. He made stupid decisions with the ball constantly. And now it's his turn to be the man and to get significant minutes. And you see really good play from him. I think that happens a lot. But he was a second round pick. Right. So for him to even be in the NBA is a hit. That's true. I mean, he was a he was a top 15 talent at that point in the season. There were, you know, I I was a lot of things going wrong with him. Right. No, you're not wrong there, but there's there's a lot of guys like that who come into the NBA on not the best situation for themselves, um, and you know they could be better than the way that they're playing, and then you see it later on when they join a new squad. I I feel like just a year in, because like Jalen Suggs, awful rookie year. He missed yeah. a lot of games, but the games he played, he sucked. Um, I think, you know, based on your metrics, it would be fair to label him as a shit player right out the gate. Well, I said a year, year and a half. For some players, they show me right away they're horrible. And then sometimes, like we saw with Alonzo Ball, right? His first impression was, hey, I'm good at basketball, but I'm going to be missing a quarter of the season, if more, every single year. Yeah. Has that has that remained true? Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what's happened his entire career. He's really good at basketball, but he's going to miss more than a quarter of the season every right. single year. And you know, Evan Mobley, within eight games, you could tell, hey, this guy's different on defense than any other player in the league right now. That has remained true. Cade Cunningham, you could see it. Like, I'm going to be an inconsistent player, but when I'm good, I'm fucking awesome. Yeah. And that has also remained true. So it's just people show you who they are as players very, very quickly. LeBron, his first game in the league, 28-7-5. Okay, you're probably going to be pretty good at hoops. Yeah, so it all depends on the draft position. I think, you know, when it comes down to it. If you're I mean, do a, I care? Do I care if the 29th player in the NBA comes out and has a stinker? Like Grant Williams was a late first round pick. His first two years in the NBA, you're thinking, this guy does not belong on an NBA court. This guy should leave. And then his third yeah. year, we see a great version of him. We see a version of him that's really versatile from three. We see a big improvement. There's uh, but he wasn't a top pick. Yeah, there's obviously going to be some exceptions to my theory i think the majority of players fit my theory there are guys like dennis smith jr there are Kelvin guys Johnson. right there are guys like that right yeah there's a lot of kinda, them. 
I don't know if there's a lot of them. No, I don't think that's true. I don't think there's a lot of guys that are they that suck their first three years and then they turn into twenty point game scorers. I don't think there's a lot of them. I think. Oh yeah, no, 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 not twenty yeah, point no. game scorers. But I don't think that's the metric. Or, I think or just can... valuable or valuable pieces like guys that just are bad for a long time and then become like Yuta Watanabe. He was good. He just couldn't shoot. Well, now mm. he can shoot, so he's really good. He's a very good role player. Yeah, but he was still a good player. He was making impact plays, diving on the floor, energy guys. So you knew he was something, but now he's just raised it. It's. I get it. They show you if they can play basketball right away. It's just how much can they raise their game? Like with Grant Williams, for me, I really, I'm so shocked he's even an okay basketball player because I've talked about this on the podcast before. The amount of nights that it would be zero points, two rebounds, zero assists, and three shots taken. What is he even doing on the floor? And it wasn't like he showed any type of offensive skill that made me confident in him as a player other than screening. So I was like, okay, this guy's a bum. Send him down to the G League or get him off your team. And for him to become a a, a super efficient player is one of the nicest surprises in the league. And I think a lot of people would agree with me that no way did we see that coming. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I That's why you got to be patient. Um, that's why, you know, when you're 21 years old to think like, this is who this guy is, he's not really going to get that much better. I think it's just way too early for something like that. But then there's guys like Pat Williams where we kept saying, hey, just give him a year. Just give he's him still a year. 21 years old. He hasn't and turned 22 yet. And he's still bad at basketball. I, 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 yeah, that's why I think it's too early. He's already put up 24 points really efficiently once this year. Um, and like the what though, like just saying once though, he's given you four seasons of inconsistency and he puts this up is his third year. Okay, three seasons of bad basketball or inconsistent basketball or injury riddled basketball. And because right. he puts up 24 points in one game, you can't say, hold on. We're seeing flashes from a very young guy. It's too late to say this guy's a bust. That is Who? my that is my thought process. Bruno Caboclo. Yeah. The Every, uh, Brazilian Kevin Durant. Yeah. Just give him one more year, please. Just yeah. give him one more year. Well, <laughs> it's been fucking five years, and I don't see a Brazilian Kevin Durant anywhere in the <laughs> NBA. So right. I think it doesn't always work out, but this is my thing as people who really care about the NBA and people who cover the NBA, like me and you, like we do this for fun. We, we put our opinions out there and we have to stick to them or we can change them. But I think we're always hopeful, right? You go back to our draft podcast two years ago. We basically didn't see a, say a bad word about a single pick. (laughs) Like it's, we were, Hey, all these guys are going to work out. They're all perfect. Right. Right. And then, you know, that wasn't necessarily true for all of them. But I think as as people, we want to be hopeful that these young guys come into the league and they're something. Um, and I think sometimes we hold on too long and we just get burned by that. Oh, just give him a year. Like, he'll show you that he's good. Like, Laurie Markkinen, we got burned by him, right? He He showed a lot of good talent, but for a while, a lot of people were like, all right, he's not doing anything anymore. Like... It's time to give up on him. And now he's a 20 point per game scorer and like probably an all-star. So there are guys like that, but there are also guys like Bruno Caboclo where it's like, just wait, just wait. You don't know what this guy does at practice or like Markel Fultz where it's like, oh, after the injury, he'll be good. Like, just wait. Like he's going to be a really good player one day. Well, we haven't seen it. That's true. Yeah. I don't, I, I prefer to be optimistic. 
Yeah. Um, I don't see a lot of fun in going, this 20-year-old fucking sucks. He's never going to be anything. I don't see a lot of fun in that. Um, I like to watch the flashes and go, damn, imagine if this guy does that consistently. I'd rather be proved wrong than be on the hook for six years about a player just waiting for a jump to happen that that doesn't happen. That's that's what I'd prefer. Like, I'd rather say Grant Williams is the worst basketball player in the league and then for him to become a 50-40-90 guy just two short years after I say that. I'd prefer that Yeah. than me saying, guys, Romeo Langford is going to be fucking awesome at basketball. And then I never just... went that far. Yeah, I, wasn't on a, I was not on a Langford was going to be an all-star. I was on the Langford could be a really good seventh man on our team. Okay, I think but... cautiously optimistic about could this guy be a impactful <laughs> role player? I think that's the way I'd rather be. And it was the same thing with Aaron Neesmith. Like I watched them and I was like, what is everyone else seeing? They're horrible at basketball, but it was the optimism in people's hearts that were keeping the belief aligned. It wasn't actually what you saw with your eyes. It was just the feelings that, oh, they'll figure it out. It's the high, it's the moments of them at their best. You see them playing at their best and you think, man, this guy could, if this guy could right. do that consistently. Right. Aaron like Smith had a handful of six for nine from three point line games with the Celtics. He had a handful of games where he put up a lot of, he was, you know, a bull in a China shop, certainly. Um, didn't always understand where his feet were going. Um, but <laughs> he was a dude with a lot of energy who you could tell who you could tell wanted to impact winning. I think a handful might be an exaggeration of his contributions to the Boston Celtics. I think maybe I'm, I'm not going yeah. digging through yeah, no, no. Smith's game logs. But, but I'm just saying, like, I'd rather say this guy's gonna be ass, and then Grant Williams be like, fuck you, Jared Carey from Hudson. like uh, this guy yeah right like i'd rather have that than you know romeo lankford me defending him being like no you don't get it like he's gonna figure it out and then him just be horrible and be a g-league player and the same thing with aaron neesmith like i think it's less about neesmith and langford specifically and more about just being a fan of a team i think you watch the Cavs and you go isaac okoro yeah bad at basketball yeah you're you're pretty set on that yeah send him to the g-league or cut him, send him to China, or trade him to someone else who has more patience for him. He's bad at basketball. Because he was drafted fifth overall, Cavs fans will tell you he's a defensive stopper. He's baby Kawhi. I've literally seen someone say that, and it almost made me want to punch my phone. No, he's bad at basketball. People pick on him on the defensive end, and he doesn't know how to score at any level other than transition. Bad at basketball, period, done. It's not yeah, about you're pretty consistent with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about what team I root for. It's if you're a bum, you're a bum. And I don't need to see five years of you being a bum to put a, put a label on it. I only need to see you be horrible at basketball for three years or two years or a year and a half or one. And then I fucking put the label on it. And if you prove me wrong, like if Isaac Okoro shoots 40% from three next year, I'll come on the podcast and apologize for everything I've ever said. It's never going to happen. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I always would rather be optimistic and wrong okay. than this guy sucks. And then, oh, shit, it turns out I didn't give him enough time. And, you know, he was 20 years old and I was calling him a bust. Who would have thought he would have improved? Well, I'm not, like, upset if they get better. I'm happy about it. Like, right. I'm glad that the Celtics have a player they can rely on in Grant Williams. Like, I never once, like, I'm happy for these guys if they mm-hmm. prove me wrong. It just, it doesn't usually happen. If Johnny Davis turns out to be a rotation player in the NBA, hey, props to you, bro. 
like all the reports are wrong. They doubted you at 19 years old. Shouldn't have happened, right? I think even suggesting that a guy who's played seven games can never figure it out as an NBA player is silly, and we shouldn't be doing it. I think Hashim Thabit would tell you otherwise. That's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, that's there what are I, some, that's what there are some incredible exceptions over the years. No, I don't. It's not. It's not incredible except this is a thing that happens people are propped up and you know people convince themselves that they're a bet good enough to be rotation guys or even stars in the nba and then they show you immediately no i'm not it happens it's okay it just happens. Just, seven games into a career it's way too early um this is an anthony bennett that we're watching this is not hashim to beat that we're watching um those guys were talentless from day one johnny um, davis talentless from day one he was a shot chucker from day one. He was a shot chucker in Wisconsin, but you saw him play good defense. Um, he was never an efficient scorer for Wisconsin. Such a deep dive. Who gives a shit about Johnny Davis? No, I know. I know. <laughs> but I'm just saying. I'm yeah, just saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> Isaac Kokoro, talentless yeah. from day one. From day one. Could never shoot a basketball. Could never hit a free throw. Could never take a mid-range pull-up. Could never create his own shot. Literally had no skill at all, ever. Was drafted fifth overall. Doesn't make sense. I think I'm okay with not being the dude that puts out those takes. I think that's what it is. <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna be the guy that was right before everyone. Yeah. That's that's yeah. gonna be my thing. Yeah, you right? can do your victory lap when Isaac Akora is playing in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just like, guys, I told you, why'd you stick with this dude? <laughs> right? <laughs> Romeo Langford. I feel good about that. Like yeah. I yeah. just yeah. Yeah, as you should. So it's it's an interesting way to view basketball. I think it's funny that me and you are on polar opposite ends. Uh-huh. Um, but that's what makes for great conversation when me and you disagree about a guy. Like, that's very true. Yeah. That, when I get to come back in three weeks when Johnny Davis starts putting up 30 a game. <laughs> and we can have a new conversation. <laughs> if Johnny Davis has a 30-point game, I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh we're gonna take a break and then we're gonna come back talk about the western conference being a bloodbath a couple other things all right and we're back uh second half here we're gonna talk about the western conference and just how much of a bloodbath it's been how crazy uh how good the teams are in the western conference this year there are 11 teams with a 500 or better record at this point in the season uh, there are 10 teams with 10 or more wins the standings are going to change game after game, weekend after weekend. Um, there is no set in stone. This team is a top two seed right now. There's no telling where teams are going to end up. I'm in total agreement. If you're a fan of a Western Conference team, do not feel comfortable in your standing whatsoever. I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, ups and downs for all of the teams. Golden State in 11th place right now is only three games behind the first seed Phoenix Suns. Mm-hmm. That literally is one good week of basketball for Golden State and one bad week for Phoenix. And now they're on top of the conference. Um, it's I don't really know how to gauge the West at all this year. I think a lot of these teams have shown really high highs and really low lows. Uh, We've seen Sacramento. They started the season off 0-4, and then they rip off a whole bunch of wins. They just lose to a really good team in the Celtics. Uh, The Clippers, they look good some nights. They look horrible others. Uh, You can say the same thing about a lot of these teams in the West. I'm not really sure how the West shakes out. I think, you know, me and you did our predictions in the preseason of where teams kind of fall. And, you know, they kind of look similar to what we thought, maybe with the exception of Sacramento and Utah. 
and Portland at the five, but I think it, I don't know. Do you think these teams that are surprising us a little bit are going to kind of like fall down back to the average, or do you think they're there to stay in the West? I think it depends on the teams that we're talking about. I am truly a believer in the Sacramento Kings this year. I think they are the most likable team in the NBA right now. Their story is just awesome. The beam team, all of it's great. Um, But if you want to project forward and talk about like how good could these teams be at the end of the season, I think the things you got to look at are, you know, stuff like assists per game, offensive rating and defensive rating. You got to be top 10 in both categories. You got to be able to feed the ball around. Um, the Suns right now and the Pelicans are the only two teams in the West that are top 10 in both offense and defense. And for that reason, I believe in both of those teams. I think we've not yet seen the best version of the Pelicans so far. Uh, I made a TikTok about how ridiculous it is that CJ McCollum's the leading shot taker on this team right now. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's not going to continue throughout the season. So those are the two teams that I have the highest hopes in. And I honestly do believe in the Kings as a real playoff team. But who knows where they land up? Who knows where they land? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, this conference is ridiculous. I think you're right about New Orleans. Um, they haven't figured out how to play the correct brand of basketball, despite being top 10 in both offensive rating and defensive rating. Mm-hmm. Go watch this team, folks. They're very confusing. The eye test will tell you something different than the numbers. The numbers will tell you this is a guaranteed playoff team. I don't feel as comfortable saying that as some others. Clearly, they have Zion, Ingram, CJ. That triplet alone makes them a playoff team, most likely. But I don't view them as like a really, really good team. But the numbers would tell you that they are. Um, I, I don't really know what to think about any of these teams. Portland, really bad offense this year. Really good defense. That has never been the formula for them. Last night, they went a close one. They have a really, really small net rating. The games they've won have been by slim, slim margin. It's not like they're blowing anyone out. Sacramento, I love them, but I am starting to get a little bit of flashbacks of the Cavs from last year for the Sacramento Kings, where they just rip out of the gate. And then maybe they run into some problems along the way. With the Cavs, it it was injuries. For the Kings, it may be something else, but you know, huge winning streak to start the season. You don't want to be the rabbit. You want to be the tortoise. You want to end up finishing the season strong rather than just hitting out of the gates at a crazy rate. Um, Utah, you know, I'm a believer in Utah just because of the shots they get, but they've lost a lot of games uh, as of late. And, you know, they look a little bit less competent than I thought. Uh, You know, we obviously saw that game. Joel Embiid just destroyed them single-handedly. They lost to New York. They lost to the Clippers. They lost to Detroit, which you cannot do. Um, So I don't really know. I can't really tell who's frauds or who's not. All I know is that the Warriors have championship pedigree. The Phoenix Suns have a system that works. And Denver has a top two player in the league. So those are the teams I'm kind of tying my wagon to at this point, even though Golden State's 11th. Yeah, honestly, um, those are the only teams you can have you know, definite faith in, even though the Warriors have been as bad as they've been, you know, things are going to get better. Um, We're seeing Clay Thompson get a little bit back in the form, which is always good to see. Um, I believe in the Nuggets. I've talked about it a lot on our TikTok. I've talked about it a lot on the podcast. The Nuggets are legit. They're here to stay. They're having a great year. Um, Jokic missed a handful of games. Jamal Murray missed a handful of games. And obviously Jamal Murray's not back yet. He's not at his best, Um, but he's playing and he's giving his, he's trying his ass off. And, you know, he's putting in effort, and that's all you need to see from a guy coming back from that kind of injury. Um, The Phoenix Suns may be, in my opinion, the least likable team in the NBA. 
I'm not sure that there's a less likable team. Um, that whole beef with the Lakers the other day, yeah. um, with Devin Booker smacking Austin Reeves in the face and then mean mugging him on the ground, and then whatever the hell DeAndre Ayton was trying to do, it's the weakest shit in the league. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of that team, but I think undeniably with Chris Paul healthy, they just cruise into the playoffs. I'm with you. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. I love Devin Booker's game. I think what he did to Austin Reeves was really weird. Yeah. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, him flexing over someone is the biggest joke I've ever seen. He is the softest big man in the league. It's not really close. He is, he's a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to give a lot of credit to Pat Bev. Um, not a huge fan of him as a player, maybe even as a person, not sure. But, you know, as a teammate, I think I would ride with that guy. I think he would be really annoying in practice, but at the end of the day, I know that he would go fuck someone up if they were doing something disre- disrespectful to me. Um, it didn't matter that DeAndre in seven foot and 250 pounds. He rammed his whole entire body weight into his back and put him on the floor. I loved seeing that. Um, you know, obviously the Lakers still lost the game and it couldn't swing the momentum for him. But just having a teammate you know is going to do something for, for you like that, I, I actually respected the move. I get that. I totally get that. Uh, At this point in the season, Patrick Beverly may be the worst offensive player in basketball and maybe one of the worst we've seen for years. Yeah. Um, He's shooting a blazing hot 26% from the field and 24% from the three point line. Um, He's awful on offense and he's not as good on defense as he thinks he is, but he is a teammate you want on your team. Um, You saw the vibes he brought to Minnesota. You saw the culture that was there. He was part of the team, part of the reason that team was smiling. Um, he is a great locker room guy, but not a good basketball player. And that's okay, man. Sometimes you need a great locker room guy. I think the Timberwolves would kill to have him back on their squad. I agree with you. And I think just mentioning the Lakers, we do kind of have to talk about their outlook moving on to this season, just in this loaded Western Conference. They're a little bit farther behind than other teams. They're six and eleven. They're five and a half games back from the first place spot. They haven't had LeBron for the last two weeks. Anthony Davis has been the best player in basketball the last five games. Um, He's doing things that no player has ever done. And, you know, is that enough when you get Dennis Schroeder and Thomas Bryant back, who looked okay in their opening game back? You know, is, is the addition of LeBron back to this team enough, or is it still the same old issues? They don't have enough shooting, you know. They can't score in the paint because it's so crowded, shit like that. What do you think? Um, So right now they are one of the best rebounding teams in basketball, and they take more two-pointers than almost any other team in basketball. Um, Their free throw percentage has been pretty good. They're good at limiting fouls. They do a couple things right on the offensive end. Um, Defense has been stellar, but half of their wins are against the least talented teams the NBA has seen in a long time. Um, they beat the Spurs the other day. The game before that, they beat the breaks off the Spurs and the Spurs sat Jakob Pertl. Um, And the game before that, they beat the Pistons. So I'm not giving any credit to the three to three of their last four wins. It's good that they got them. You know, Pistons have beat a couple teams recently, but they are not good wins. I think when they play good teams, they're just going to lose again. But LeBron James is back. Obviously, they won some of those games. They played those games without LeBron in the first place. When he comes back, things are going to be a little different. But the odds of them making the playoffs at this point in the year, very low. When you look at the rest of the teams in the NBA, I think the only one that you can be pretty certain is going to keep falling is probably Utah. Um, They've lost six of their last eight. 
Their two wins were very, very close. I think we're just seeing that the top end talent isn't there. And with Mike Conley not being able to be the table setter, he's got a strained foot. I believe he's out for a month. Uh, That's going to hurt. He's been a killer table setter. He's got like a 5.3 assist to turnover ratio uh, on eight assists a game or whatever. He's his numbers are nuts. Uh, Missing him sucks. I think they're the only one that the Lakers could vault. Maybe the Timberwolves, maybe the Kings, maybe the Clippers. If Kawhi doesn't play, but that's a lot of maybes. Yeah, and I just need to shout out Anthony Davis a little bit. I know I mentioned that he was the best player in basketball the last five games, but when you hear the numbers behind what he's doing, it is a little breathtaking. Against Brooklyn, 37 and 18. Against Detroit, 38 and 16. Against San Antonio, 30 and 18. Against Phoenix, 37 and 21. Against San Antonio, 25 and 15. And folks, I didn't get to read off the block and steal numbers there, but it's basically he has nine stocks a game, steals blocks combined. Like it, what he's doing over the last five games is he's clearly the best defensive player in the league, and he's also dropping 25 and 15 every game. Um, he's having a stellar season. With him, it's always can he stay healthy? He's been healthy the last five games, and honestly, he's been the best player in basketball the last five games. I've been very impressed. Yes, has has he been playing some pretty subpar competition? Sure. But then he also just gave DeAndre Ayton 37 and 25. So, you know, we can't really use that argument because he had his best game against the best team. So I've been very impressed with him. It's making me a little bit more optimistic for the Lakers when LeBron comes back because he was not playing this way at the beginning of the season. That's for sure. Um, So maybe if LeBron can kind of just table set and then drive to the hoop when it's there, I don't know. I still don't love this team. Still not enough shooting. Still the same issues. They suck at even hitting twos. LeBron and Anthony Davis are the only players on this team that can score at the basket. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's still some really core issues there, but I'm more optimistic than I was. Like, I thought there was maybe a legit chance they're like the third worst team in the West. I don't see that happening anymore. Just the way that Anthony Davis is playing. He's been unreal. He has been unreal. Um, I just want to get your take on this, though. Past five games, they played uh, the Spurs. Only one of those games they had Jakob Pertl in. And we both agree DeAndre Ayton is the softest big man in basketball. Um, Anthony Davis's averages over the last five games are 33 points, 18 rebounds, 2.6 blocks, and two steals a game. Um, Against the weakest big man in the NBA, a team with no rim protection, the least talented roster in basketball, and then the Spurs with Jakob Pertl healthy. Um, Is there, is it credible? Is it reasonable to not be like, wow, Anthony Davis is the best player in basketball? Is it reasonable to tamper expectations a little bit with the talent that he's been playing against? Um, I don't think so. I don't think you should. Um, Because, yes, I think DeAndre Ayton's mentality is pussy shit. I think he's still a pa- talented player. And you've spoken glowingly about him over the last few years and the way he guards Jokic and shit like that. You've given him a lot of credit. And I tend to agree with you. I think the way he stays grounded and uses his physicality just deep in the paint, I think is very good interior defense, but Anthony Davis made him look like a little bitch boy. Um, I think that means something, even though I think he has a weak mentality. I think he's still a talented guy. And for Anthony Davis to put up 37 and 25, it's just, it's a unique performance. And to me, it validates the performances he put up against the bum teams. That's fair. 
Um, I, I I don't have a problem with that. That Suns game was incredible. 37 and 21, uh, 21. with five steals and five blocks. That's not a thing other players are capable of. No other player in the league does that. Yeah. Um, they still lost that game. They took 30 more free throws than the Suns, and they lost because they shot 422 from three. That's not on him. Nope. Um, you can't really discredit Anthony Davis if you're going to talk about the Lakers being ass because the Lakers are ass because of the rest of the team. Right. Uh, Rob Polinka is awful. Um, the fact that he got an extension is laughable. The fact yeah. that they're going to waste LeBron's prime by not shipping out Westbrook and grabbing more talent or just making the right decisions in the first place to get LeBron the talent that he needs. It sucks. Yeah. I sent you a make-believe trade the other day that I'd like for you to put your opinion on it out on the podcast and myself. I sent you Lakers send Russell Westbrook and the two coveted picks unprotected to the Detroit Pistons for Bogdan Bogdanovich and Sadiq Bey. What are your thoughts on that? Because to me, that solves a lot of issues for the Lakers. It does solve a lot of issues. I'm kind of at the point where until we start to see Rob Palenka be willing to trade those two picks, I just get frustrated talking about the amount of potential trades out there that could drastically improve this Lakers team that are never going to be made. Yeah. Um, so if we start hearing that Rob Palenka is open to trading both of those picks, I'm open to have as many conversations as we want to have. I think that's a great trade. I think it would benefit the Lakers greatly. I don't think the Pistons should make it um, because Sadiq Bey is the sort of dude you want on your team. Um, he's having big, he's having a down year, undeniably. Um, Bogdanovich, I don't think you need to hold on to. His story this year has been nice, but trade him when he's at his highest value. I'm okay with that. Um, until we start seeing Rob Palenka be open to trading those picks, I'm kind of like, you know, what's the point in even talking about it? What's the point of even fantasizing? You know what? I think that's fair. I think Rob Polinka has done one of the worst jobs we've seen in a really long time. I think, you know, it's almost like they've started too slow to even want to try to turn their season around. And I think mm -hmm. that's a disgrace because you're basically just calling it quits on an Anthony Davis season that he looks incredible. And obviously we're waning here with LeBron's career. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I guess it's not worth talking about until we see some real reporting saying that Polink is trying to move Russell Westbrook and the picks soon. Right. Um, I made a TikTok just being like, why the hell do we keep talking about the Lakers? Um, they're terrible. They keep losing road games. The team's awful. And I kind of want to stick to that. I mean, talk about Anthony yeah. Davis as much as we want because he's awesome. He truly is having an excellent year. If we see him play 60 games this season, I will be so happy. Honestly, truly, I want him to be healthy. I want him to be a first option and to succeed. Um, but the Lakers as a team, there just isn't a lot of hope there. Um, I want to talk about something a little bit unrelated, but just about yeah. uh, a player that I expected to be on a team at this point, but he isn't. DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, I heard him have a conversation with Bob Myers hmm. on the Warriors, and he basically asked him, why am I not in the NBA right now? And Bob Myers' response was not because of his talent, but because of his attitude. Um, he told him that owners around the league, GMs around the league are not sure what they're getting from him when it comes to having his shit together and being able to be under control. Um, and I think that's interesting, man. I think that's kind of clear. You know, DeMarcus Cousins is more talented than a guy like DeAndre Jordan or, you know, a lot of these backup big men that are getting minutes nowadays. Um, he's going, he's off to Taiwan right now, I think. There's some reports that he's considering going out there and playing. Um, I want to see him on a roster, but I thought that was interesting just to see him having a conversation with an owner and an owner like outright telling him like, yeah, your attitude's the reason you're not playing right now. I, I think that's kind of bullshit because 
I think DeMarcus Cousins was awesome for the Nuggets, just in terms of, you know, all the guys were jumping up and down when he had a few great performances off the bench. Seems like the guys really liked him. I think he has a little bit of edge to him, and he'll always have that. We saw it a lot in Sacramento. We saw it in New Orleans, obviously. He's got an attitude for sure, but for him to be out of the league, it seems like what we saw from him from him last year is valuable enough to put on a roster. What we saw from him last year was really, really good offense and then one of Horrible the worst defense. defenders in basketball. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think when you're a dude like that, you can't be also getting technicals. When you're like DeMarcus Cousins, the the attitude issues are always there. Um, we've seen it since Sacramento days. I don't think it's enough to not give him a roster spot. Truly, I think he belongs in the NBA. I think it's wild that he's not in there. Yeah. Um, but... I don't know, man. There's only a, there's a limited amount of teams that really would benefit from him right now. And if they're teams that are dealing with turmoil already, I guess it's a passable excuse that like, we don't want to bring another, you know, quote unquote head case onto the team. Um, but that was Bob Myers reaction to Marcus cousins. It's just, a, it's an interesting conversation to hear between an owner and a player. Yeah. Hopefully he finds a job. I think he's good enough to still be in the league for sure. Yeah. Um, before we go here, any teams in the Western Conference that you really want to pick at? I'm actually just going to pivot to the Eastern Conference because I want to sneak some Cavs in just before oh, go we for go. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the Cavs won four games in a row <clears throat> after losing six games in a row. And they looked very good. I was very pleased with how they rebounded, uh, like re- rebounded in the sense that they turned things around, not actually grabbing the ball. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, they really impressed me. They beat Charlotte, Miami, Atlanta, Portland. I think, you know, I have respect for Atlanta and Portland. So those were good wins to me. They faced last uh, Milwaukee last night and they got bent over. Um, And, you know, my expectations for this Cavs team entering the season was I wanted one playoff win. And that is still where I'm at. If I can get a playoff series win from this squad, that is a massive dub for me. I will be very, very happy with that. But facing Milwaukee twice this year and getting bodied twice this year, both 15-point wins for Milwaukee and Mobley looked basically useless out there, honestly, (laughs) which sucks for me to say, but he looked useless on offense out there because Brooke Lopez Lopez and Giannis were able to completely wall him off with their physicality and height. It, it was depressing. It shows you that Milwaukee and Boston are in a land of their own because we have to remember, folks, the Bucks don't even have Chris Middleton yet. And they're dogging teams. They are fucking dogging teams. Um, so it was just a reminder to me last night, like, keep your expectations in check for this team. They're not beating Boston. They're not beating Milwaukee. They're in a different tier. They are. They are definitely in the second tier. They are. They're an elite team. But Boston and Milwaukee are a different beast. I think that's I think that's a reasonable way to go about thinking about it. The Celtics and the Bucks are the best teams in the East. That is a bloodbath when those two play each other. It's going to be <laughs> a hell of a series. Yeah. Um, just being able to face them in the playoffs, I think, is good for your team. You know, even if the Bucks, if it's a gentleman sweep against the Cavs, um, just being able to see like, oh shit, this is what the playoffs against the Bucks look like. Um, I think would be really valuable for the Cavs. It's tough to be an elite team when two of your starters can't spread the floor can't stretch the floor um Evan Mobley 
I think you when you watch him, you see that he has the touch from mid-range. Um, I have no worries about him developing the mid-range game. Um, I think he's got that in him. But when it comes to stretching it out to the three-point line, I'm just not sure that that's ever a thing he's going to have. Um, and so to have him and Jared Allen on the floor at the same time be unable to do that, it really, it's just, you have to set up your team in a unique way. Um, they're one of the only teams I can think of where you put your two big men just can't stretch the floor whatsoever. I think something I'm realizing as well about this team is the importance of Mobley and Allen playing together all the time. Jared Allen got hurt last night. And instantly, the issues I have spoken to you about over text, in person, on the podcast, once you make a Mobley the solo great defender on the team, it doesn't fucking matter. The defense is going in the shitter because he has to switch on to everyone. He has to protect the rim. He has to fucking contest three-point shots. He can't do it all by himself. You have mm-hmm. Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Chetty Osman, Dean Wade, Kevin Love, guys like that that try but are just not, they're not good defenders. Donovan Mitchell's probably the best of that group. And it's vice versa. When Mobley went out last year, the defense struggled, and it was basically their whole defensive system is predicated on two defensive player of the year caliber players just cleaning up everyone's mistakes. So when one of them goes down, it it crumbles upon itself. The Bucs were able to just get at them at will. Giannis finished the game with nine dunks blowing by Robin Lopez over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. It was sickening to watch. And it's, you know, it's a good system because when they're both healthy, it's, it's incredible. They're a top five defense and it's really hard to score on them in the paint. So it's a good system, but it shows something about the team construction where they don't have enough players that can switch and they don't have enough versatile defensive forwards. And that's what Isaac's Isaac Okora was supposed to be. We talked about him a little bit earlier. He's not that. I'm curious to see where they move on in years moving forward. It's going to be really interesting. I mean, they need versatile defensive somebody. Um, you know, it could yeah. be a forward. It could be a guard. When you look at the, I'm going to list off the top nine guys in terms of minutes played. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Dean Wade, Chetty Osman, Lamar Stevens, Kevin Love. Allen and Mobley are the only two good defenders of that lineup. Um, Chetty Osman tries, but he's not some defensive stopper. Dean Wade tries. He's not a defensive stopper. Both these guys fit well in a system. They do fit very well in a system. But if you ask them to lock up the guy on the best team, they are unable. Um, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley right now are 11th and 12th in the NBA in terms of contested twos per game. Evan Mobley is number one in terms of contested threes per game. Um, So they have, you know, some of the hardest load to carry out of anybody in the NBA right now when it comes to defense. Um, The fact that this team has been the fifth best defense in the NBA with two good defenders is incredible. It really is. Both those guys are all defensive first team quality defenders. Um, I don't know where they go from here because Garland and Mitchell are your guys for the future. And those guys aren't going to become defenders. Um, I think you really have to, you know, you got to get a guy like, you know, the potential of Isaac Okoro, what we thought Isaac Okoro could be at his best. You got to yeah. pick up some Lou Dort, um, a guy like that. You know, Lou Dort got paid 80 million. I think some people thought that was ridiculous. I think the Cavs would do that in a heartbeat if they could put a defender, a guard defender like that on this team. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they go. 
I think I would give Dwight Howard a call if I was the Cavs as well. I think instead of having the instant offense center off the bench, you you get the defensive shot blocker center mm. off the bench. You know, you have guys like uh, Robin Lopez who can hit three hook shots in a game and, you know, he can get to the foul line and it's, it's funny. It's the way it looks is hilarious, but he has slow ass feet. Correct. And he gets burnt endlessly. Kevin Love, I think, might be the worst defender in the entire league. Watching him frustrates me to no end, but he makes it worth it with his dagger three-point shooting. I give Dwight Howard a call because Jared Allen got hurt again. He missed a game, uh, I think two games last week, and now he got hurt again. And, you know, you need a second shot blocker on this team. It's becoming very, very apparent that that's what the weak spot is other than the forwards is, is just a quality shot blocking big off the bench. So that's, that's just where I'm at as a Cavs fan. I'd like to see Dwight Howard on this team. I mean, culture wise, you know, that's a guy that would add to your team. Dwight Howard's a a perfect teammate. Um, I don't think he's got any sort of ego issues at this point in his career. You watched him in LA and you realize, you know, he knew what his role was and he did it very well. Yeah. Um, I think going forward, if we're talking the future of Cleveland, they need a forward that is legit as a defender. Um, there's not a lot of them out there. They can't just go find one. Uh, we talked about Andrew Wiggins forever, but he's locked up in Golden State, and rightfully so. Um, I don't know where that guy comes from, if he comes from the draft. I literally have no idea. Um, but I think going forward, if you're going to play Mitchell, Garland, Mobley, and Allen on the floor at the same time, your three needs to be a lockdown defender on the perimeter. Yeah, like a Matisse Thibel type almost. Right. Yeah. Like, Even if you don't get offense from him, like yeah. legit Matisse Thibel could be a passable, like a, a good fit for that team. Yeah. I honestly, I don't think the Cavs have the money for it, but I kind of want Grant Williams. I want to steal him from the Celtics because the Celtics have kind of made it known they're not paying him. They just, they just can't afford it. Yeah. Um, I would love him so much. Yeah um is it worth the poison pill so the the he's a restricted free agent so it's going to have to happen for any team that wants grant williams is they're going to have to give him a contract too large for the celtics to consider matching is it it worth doing that poison pill and sending grant williams a contract he doesn't deserve to make sure you keep him on your team it might be honestly for this Cavs team because it's such a glaring hole at the forward spot yeah and for him to be able to also hit knockdown threes which Isaac Okoro cannot do Mm -hmm. and also switch to four five three one like he can switch up and down yeah lineup it might honestly be worth it um yeah obviously a hypothetical but it's not a bad idea when you got Kevin Love making 29 million and you got Karis LeVert making 19 million this year. Those are movable contracts. And if you get those guys off your team and you bring in Grant Williams, sucks to get rid of Kevin Love's offense. He's been great for the team, but it's overall it's worth it. You do that. I think Kevin Love after this season is going to come back to the Cavs, but just on a veteran deal. I really yeah. do think that. I think, you know, he loves Cleveland. Cleveland. He's the emotional leader of the team. Um, but he's just getting paid way too much money. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, his whole situation was weird. Um, They knew they weren't going to win when they offered him that max extension, but they told him they were going to be a competitive team. So he's just been sitting on an ass team forever. Um, I hope he comes back on a nice deal, but even if he doesn't, man, if you lose Kevin love, your team will survive. Agreed. Yeah. 
All right. I think that's everything for today. This was a really fun one. Obviously, some uh, debate between when to give up to a player. That was really fun. Yeah, uh, I don't know what... that we've ever had as much conversation about Aaron Neesmith <laughs> and, and Johnny Davis and these guys. I don't yeah. know that we'll ever talk that much about them ever again. Never again. You'll never hear Johnny Davis's <laughs> name on this podcast again. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As always, go check out our TikTok. We're put, we're trying to put as much content on that as we possibly can. We're making around probably three to four videos a day. Um, we answer back too. So if you comment, we'll definitely engage in some de- debate with you or just let you know if you're right or wrong. Uh, ben, do you have anything to say before we get on out of here? I got nothing. Thanks for listening in, people. See you Peace. later.